Welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer, and online proofing and collaboration platform, ProofHQ. Now here are your hosts, from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Sysimos, Amber Nasland. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everyone. This is Chris Moody here for another episode of Content Pros with my co-host, Amber Naslin. And today, we're very excited to be joined by Ann Handley. Chief Content Officer over at Marketing Profs. And I feel like I've known Ann since um, the dawn of time. She's probably one of my favorite people in the marketing world. And I think she's coming to us live from the tiny house in the backyard. Hi, Ms. Handley. Hey, how are you? I am live in the tiny house where it is now a toasty 55 degrees. Wow, balmy for Boston in winter. You got to love it. <laughs> it is indeed. Well, it's we're really excited true. to have you here today. So th- thank you so much for joining us um, to come and talk. I am here. Yeah, I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, Anne is the author of the best-selling book, Everybody Writes, that came out earlier this year. If you haven't picked up a copy, you really need to grab it. Um, And tell us a little bit about your book and why you decided to write it and what it does for marketers in the world today. Wow. How much time do we have? Like a day or two? I I don't know. Like Good. So, yes, thank you for that. Um, yeah, so I wrote Everybody Writes because essentially I couldn't find what I wanted. You know, in a world where so many of us are publishers, where pretty much if you are a business and you are doing business online, you are a publisher, um, there really wasn't a guide to marketing content, text content. There wasn't a guide to writing that was really framed for marketers. Um, you know, there's plenty of books that are uh, that teach you how to be a better writer, give you advice about how to be a better writer, framed for novelists or uh, journalists or essayists of some kind or another. Um, and at the same time, there's plenty of books that are really more aphorism than true advice, you know, the very inspirational kind of books about writing. Um, but I couldn't find what I wanted, which was a book about writing framed for a business and a marketing audience. Um, so that's why I wrote it. And that was really my goal was to bring a little bit of instruction, a little bit of inspiration, and um, and a whole lot of fun, I think, about writing, really engage people in writing for, um, for maybe the first time for many of the adult onset writers in the audience. Um, that's really what I wanted to do, and, um, and I, I don't know, I feel really happy about that. Well, one thing I loved about your book is actually the title, Everybody Writes, because we always run into the problem as marketers of not having enough content and we can debate quality quantity, which we will in a second. But I was wondering (laughs) for you, how do you encourage more people to write? I know that you cover that in your book, but we know that it can't just be the one or two marketers on a content team in some organizations. Yeah. I mean, I really think that we all are writers. You know, many of us are on social media. Many of us are blogging, um, either on behalf of our own organizations or sometimes for ourselves. Um, We are contributing to LinkedIn, you know, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're all across the web, you know, where our words are connecting with the people that we want to connect with, right? Our words are our ambassadors. They're carrying messages for us. Um, And so when I hear from marketers sometimes, well, I'm not a writer, I don't write, it's like I kind of call BS on that because I think we are all writers, you know, we all are communicators and we're all communicating. Um, 
So what was the question again? I just lost my train of thought as I was rolling along. Well, how do you get more people to contribute? So I think you were hitting on it there too, that everyone is creating content. <laughs> they may not view it as content, but you know, what tips do you have to get more people to, I'm using air quotes, write the content? <laughs> right. How do we get more people to write the content? I mean, the first thing is, I think, to, you know, as I was saying, to really embrace the idea that we all are, all are writers. Um, and the second thing is, I think, to get really clear about that, you know, writing isn't reserved for a chosen few, and it's not particularly hard if you know some basics. Um, so I think one way to encourage the writers in your own, you know, community, in your own organization, um, is just to kind of let them go, you know, sort of make them understand that, you know, writing is something that we all should be doing as, as part of our jobs. Um, but the second thing is, you know, there are many different ways to write. You know, one of the interesting things that I found in doing the research for Everybody Writes is that a lot of times people don't do that first draft, you know, that ugly first draft like I talk about in the book um, by putting, you know, a cursor to, you know, to an empty page or to a pen to paper. A lot of, the, a lot of times folks will dictate their, their first draft, which, you know, I thought was really interesting. Um, I talked to a number of marketers who will open up an email, a blank email, and start their first draft that way because it's a whole lot easier to write an email or write a letter to somebody, if you will, um, than think about writing a blog post or, or approaching it that way. Um, so I don't know, so I think there's lots of little tricks that you can use. There's lots of great transcription services now that you can use if you are one of those people who dictates. Um, but really get over that barrier of the, the fear of the blank page and, and really make it a whole lot more accessible to, to folks. You mentioned in that comment, you said um, writing is not that hard if you have a few basics at hand. So can you can you talk a little bit about what those basics are? Because I think writing really is this intimidating beast for a lot of people. And maybe a few um, knowing what basics to have in your pocket might be helpful. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, one of the, the basics that... I mean, there's so many things. This is like one of those questions where it's hard to know which direction to go in. But one of the things that, that I always think about is, uh, is I, and I alluded to it in the last question, was to think about that ugly first draft. You know, just barf up what you want to say straight on the page um, without regard for, you know, how it might look or how it might sound or banning any sort of self-slandering remarks like this is terrible. I don't know, like, why should I even be doing this? I'm not a writer. You know, sort of ban all of that stuff from your from your vocabulary and from your brain um, and just, you know, barf up that first draft with no regard for anybody ever reading it. Um, Stephen King has a wonderful quote in which he says, write with a door closed, edit with a door open. And I really ascribe to that. And I think any, 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 all of us should really, which it just means that, you know, write for yourself first So write with that door closed, just get it all out there. Um, and then go back and on a rewrite, you know, write with the door open, so write with the reader in mind. Really ask yourself a series of questions as you're on a rewrite. You know, am I saying this as clearly as I could? Um, could I say this with more brevity? You know, could I say this more briefly? Um, you know, just ask yourself a series of questions aimed with the reader in mind and not necessarily with what you want to say, but how is it being interpreted by the reader? Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is just organizationally, you know, thinking through that um, there's many ways that you can approach it too. Like, you know, one of the things that I always do and I found out that a lot of other professionals do as well is just to make a simple list when you're thinking about 
putting together a blog post or an ebook or actually a physical book, you know, but to make a list of the points that you want to make, almost like an outline. Um, I think of it like a grocery list, only instead of, you know, kale, pork chops, yogurt, milk, you know, <laughs> instead you're making a list of the key points that you want to make in writing. Um, and then go back and, and flesh it out that way. I think it's a whole lot less intimidating to think about, you know, writing a list than it is to think about writing an entire blog post or an ebook or, or an actual book, you know. I love that point and starting somewhere, finding that point to get other people collaborating. And one of my favorite posts you've written, it also showed off your artwork, was how to structure a successful content team. So can you talk to that about, you know, what do you think the roles are to be successful with content? Yeah. So thank you for that, by the way. I am particularly proud of my of my art in that. Um, so, yeah, I think the biggest thing is, is to really put somebody at the helm, right? Somebody who's driving the bus, who's really thinking more broadly about the content strategy behind the content marketing that you're putting out there. Um, so that team lead, that strategist is really the person who's thinking big picture, you know, what is our plan for the next three to six months um, or maybe beyond, but I think three to six months is manageable for, for most organizations. You know, what are the big themes that we want to talk about? What's the story that we're telling? Um, so that, that team lead is really the person who I think is in charge and who sometimes is also doing some amount of execution. Um, it's acting as a kind of editorial director, as I as I called it in my um, in my chart. You know, so that person is really the the content lead who's who's um, interacting with the content producer. Sometimes is a content producer, um, but really is the person who is just getting things done. Um, also on that team, I think you need somebody who is good at analytics. You know, who can really think through what's working, what isn't, who can offer feedback to that editorial director as well as to the team lead strategist. Um, you also need a, a syndicator, you know, somebody who is able to um, take what you're doing and push it out there into various social channels, into various social networks, um, as well as a curator who's doing the opposite, right, who's looking at all the information out there and bringing those insights back to the team. Um, and then finally, somebody who is functioning in the role of like a site manager, you know, somebody who's keeping the balls in the air, who's, who's handling the mechanics of it. Um, in my org chart that I, I drew that you're alluding to, Chris, you know, sometimes when I would present that to an audience, you know, I can sort of see that the whites of their eyes as they freak out because they're counting the heads, you know, it's like, and even the roles, as I just described them, that sounds like six people. You need six people on a content team to be effective. But actually, that's not true. It's really the roles, the things that you need to think about as part of a comprehensive content strategy, content marketing strategy. Um, so six roles that you need to think through and, and not people per se. Has done a great job of teeing up for me the chance to thank one of our content pro sponsors over at Proof HQ, because one of the trickiest parts of content creation is the approvals and the edits. Different people are weighing in with their make the logo bigger feedback, or is this the best photo we have? Kill all that drama by using Proof HQ, which is a slick, web-based system that allows everyone on your team to instantly collaborate on content executions, work together seamlessly on blog posts, ebooks, slide shares, infographics, you name it. You'll be more productive and more creative when you use Proof HQ. And you can check that out over at bit.ly slash Proof HQ. So, and when you're talking about this whole, now we've got the, the team laid out, um, but executing on content seems to be where most people get hung up because I, I can design the coolest team in the world, 
But let's say I'm starting from absolute ground zero with my content strategy. What are the key elements or pillars that I have to have in mind um, to make sure that I'm set up for success? So I think the first thing, and we sort of alluded to it a minute ago, but really putting somebody in charge of your whole effort, really. And I think that that person, that team lead, that strategist uh, does two things. I mean, I think, first of all, they look at, you know, what does the company need to do, right, in terms of, uh, you know, our own business strategy, right? What are we trying to accomplish? So I think they have a, a kind of corporate-centric point of view. But they also, uh, they sort of have a split personality in the sense because they also have a customer-centric point of view. So knowing that, right, having that sense of, you know, what we are trying to accomplish as a company, what's our business strategy, what's our marketing strategy, at the same time, they're able to think externally and think, all right, well, why does that matter to the customer, right? Really turning that corporate-centric point of view into a customer-centric um, expression, right? So what can, what value can we offer the audience? You know, how is it that we are going to um, frame it in terms of what the customer cares about? You know, how can we help them? How can we shoulder their burdens? How can we ease their pain? What is it that we can offer them? Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is really thinking through your content strategy ultimately from the, from the perspective of your customer. You know, how can we really adopt that customer-centric point of view? Um, you know, in my experience, after talking to all sizes and all, all makes and manners of companies over the past couple of years, I think a lot of people think they have that. Um, but I think it's a, it's a lot harder to execute on than it seems, right? It, it seems like, well, that's obvious, right? Shouldn't we all be, um, you know, customer-centric? Aren't we all customer-centric? But I still think that the default in marketing is we want to talk about ourselves. We want to talk about our products and services. We don't connect those dots. We don't tell our customers why it matters to them. And as a result, the marketing that we're producing, the content that we're producing, isn't something that they will thank us for. And that, to me, is the biggest measure of success of content. You know, will our customers thank us for this? Is it ultimately useful to them? Is it valuable to them? And very often, I think um, the answer is no. I, I really like that point. And you have a quote that I use in many of my presentations. So thanks for saying this because it helps me. But it, it's one of my favorites. It's your story is not about you. It's what you do for others. And I love that so much because I, right. I think you're right. We can get so caught up in the activities based marketing where we have to get a lot of stuff done that we're not actually thinking, who's this going to? What value can we add? And you know, to that point, is that an unspoken thing that is culturally driven at marketing profs? Or do you have a documented strategy that can kind of pull things back and say, here's a couple pages that aligns all this together to our business goals and what we need to work towards as a content team? At marketing profs you're talking about? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything that we do at marketing profs is always run through our overall corporate strategy and our overall, our overall um, content mission, if you will. Um, so everything that we produce, you know, one of our, our, um, our, the pillars of that for us is that we are very how-to in focus, right? So you won't see us at marketing profs, you know, for the most part, producing anything, any of our content, or especially any of our content marketing that isn't in some way um, useful, right? That doesn't have some sort of how-to aspect to it. Um, our mission is really to be ridiculously useful to the marketers who are part of our community. So all of our content is very much geared toward 
you know, the, the, the end user, right, the marketer who is uh, looking to us to kind of cut through all of the all of the other information out there and really deliver to them useful things that, that they can then incorporate into their own lives, into their own careers, you know, back at their own offices. That and balance between when you're trying to create super useful content, how do you then strike the balance between a lot of content and super high production quality, um, what I think the folks over at Copyblogger call cornerstone content, where you're talking about bigger pieces that are kind of anchor points to your content strategy. How do you strike that balance when you're always looking through the lens of useful? How much is too much and how do you know what the right cadence is for your content? Yeah, I mean, I think an editorial calendar can really help with that. Um, I think it's it's a matter of, you know, thinking through, as I said, you know, the next three to six months and figuring out, okay, you know, how is it that we can, you know, what is it that we can produce consistently? I mean, I, I think a big piece of that is, you know, the own resources that you have at, at your own company. You know, what are you able to, to do consistently and effectively, right? The idea of of content, of course, is that it's not a one-and-done scenario, right? It's something that you've committed to for the rest of your life, no matter what. Um, you know, I, I used to call it, it's something like parenting. It's something like having a baby, right? It's like, you know that once this child exists, you you know, you will, you will be responsible for it for the rest of your life, no matter what, even when they're grown up. Um, and so I think content is very much the same. And so I think a big piece of that is what do you have the resources to produce? What can you produce? Um, I think a great way for any company to think about it, though, is, is to really think about producing that cornerstone content, you know, as Coffee Blogger calls it, a big piece of content, and then reimagining it in various ways. I think doing that can really help with the cadence, can really help you produce content consistently, even if you don't have um, a huge budget and unlimited resources like many of us don't. So what I mean by that is, you know, okay, so maybe you want to produce something like an ebook or a white paper that's consistent with um, with everything that you want to get out that has empathy for the customer uh, mindset that also accomplishes, you know, the bigger story that you want to tell as a corporation. So you put that out. Uh, there's many ways that you can then iterate off of that. You know, you can create. Um, a series of blog posts from it, or you can create an infographic from it, or you can interview the folks who contributed to it in, in a podcast like this one, or do a series of webinars on it. I mean, I think there are many ways to sort of slice and dice and, and reimagine that. Um, and I think that's a, that's a great way to ease some of the pain of, of creation and answer that question of what is the right balance of, of, um, of big cornerstone content versus, versus other kinds of content that's a little easier to produce. Well, how do you decide what goes where? Because for a lot of organizations, they have two main types of content. There's kind of the awareness, ungated content, and then things that are supposed to bring in leads. And at Marketing Profs, you guys definitely have that, but you also have the subscription model where there's additional value-add content. So as a content team, how do you sit down and figure out what goes where? How do we put this into a cross-channel campaign and make sure that something is gated when it has to be gated and then an additional thing is you know for the paid subscribers only yeah i mean it's a little bit different for us because um we are i would say that we have one in terms of marketing process i mean because we have one foot in sort of traditional publishing and one foot in um in our training and education programs you know so i think we are sort of making that transition into becoming a training and education company but there's a lot of legacy 
uh, content that we're publishing at Marketing Profs that really does come more from a, you know, a, a straight publisher mindset. Um, so it's a little bit tricky for me to answer that question from, uh, you know, from the, from the perspective of Marketing Profs alone, do you know what I'm saying? There's usually not any hard and fast rules to anything, but I know that one thing. <laughs> I, I, but I know that one thing. Like we at Systemos, we have a really small team, so we're constantly trying to uh, figure out what which of our content is the most valuable and where when is it okay to put something behind the gate. And so I know that our content team is constantly asking. Um, what that question is in terms of balancing how much you put out there um, ungated and free-for-all and how much you actually require a little bit more valuable information to get. So do you have any kind of best practices or, uh, or guidelines around that that would help any of those marketers out there wondering about the same thing? Yeah, so I think, you know, one of, the, one of my favorite examples to talk about, and I've talked about this a couple of times in, in presentations, is, um, is actually what our friend Jason Miller does over at LinkedIn. Um, so I'm sure yeah, some of you may be familiar with this, but what he calls it is Thanksgiving turkey, you know. So what, what he did over at LinkedIn is that every quarter, in, in their case, um, they produce a, a big, you know, a big guide to something on LinkedIn, using LinkedIn more effectively for marketing, um, some aspect of, you know, how to use LinkedIn more effectively. Um, and that becomes essentially their Thanksgiving turkey. So there are many ways that they can slice off of that turkey. They can put the infographics um, and the webinars and all of, of those kinds of assets, you know, the, um, the slide shares, for example, the blog posts and so on, all of that stuff, all those slices are ungated, but they all lead back to that dated piece of con that gated piece of content. Um, you know, that big turkey sitting in the middle of the table, which is the guide to. So I think that's a really effective way to think about it. You know, you spend a lot of time and resources and money producing a, a hefty piece of content, you know, again, whether that is an ebook or a white paper or something that's pretty significant. And then, um, and then think about the spinoffs of that, you know, the turkey slices, if you will, you know, all those things, all those are ungated and all lead back to the gated piece of content. So I think that's a good model in terms of best practices. I think it's pretty much the, the best one you can, uh, that's out there right now. And I think that naturally lends itself well to another one of the folks that makes content pros happen, and that's Inbound Writer. So we know most blog posts and articles fail to drive much, if any, traffic to your website, but wouldn't it be great to know how good or bad your content will perform before you write it? So Inbound Writer does that. They forecast how your content will perform based on real-time analysis of your site, your competition, and even search engine behaviors. Inbound Writer tells you which topics will work, which won't, and why, removing the guesswork from content creation, increasing traffic, and decreasing wasted time. Visit inboundwriter.com to learn more. To that point, Anne, how do you define content success, and what are the main things you guys measure as a content team? So there's a couple ways that we measure the success of our own content marketing programs. Um, I mean, first and foremost, a lot of times it depends on what is our goal, or pretty much all the time it depends on what is our goal. Um, very often that goal is leads and sales, um, and that's obviously a critical metric for us. But, um, you know, very often we also have softer, softer goals, so things like uh, shares and awareness. Um, I mean, I, I know a lot of times marketers tend to discount shares, for example, as not a particularly meaningful goal. Um, but for somebody like me who manages, you know, content across 
for the entire organization across many different channels. Shares are actually a pretty important metric for me. Um, so when I'm talking about shares, I'm talking about shares on, on social platforms, you know, Facebook and retweets and G+, all those, all those kinds of things. Um, because I, why they're important for me is because I like to know what resonates with people and people share things that resonate with them. Uh, so for a, from a content creation standpoint, from, um, from thinking about it, you know, what, it, what is it that people love? What will people thank you for? I do look at shares as one metric of that. That's awesome because I, a lot of people, I think, um, downplay the importance of, of shares, and I actually think they have some validity. I realize they're not a direct path to money, but I think they still tell us something interesting. So let's talk about something a little more fun for a second rather than measurement, which makes all of our brains hurt. Tell me about the little house in the backyard. I know I know that's kind of your writing oasis. So I, I think our listeners would love to know why you have a tiny little writing enclave in, in the back of your house and how it came to be. <laughs> right. So I am actually speaking to you right now from the tiny house, as we mentioned at the start of this podcast. Um, and I built it because Marketing Cross is a virtual company. I've worked out of my house since I joined the company, which is in 2002, incredibly. Um, I'll celebrate 12 years here this year. It's the longest job I've ever had, or 13 years here, actually. It's the long, longest job I've ever had. Um, and I just decided that I needed a space that was not connected to any of the other walls in my house. So um, I built this tiny house as a place that I could come and write, certainly, you know, to sort of have that sort of, um, I don't know, it's going to sound a little goofy, but I'll say it anyway, a sort of sacred space to write in that was really just dedicated to whatever I, whatever work I wanted to produce in here, um, but also something that wasn't connected to, you know, the rest of the house, so I can hear kids in and out, I can hear I can hear, you know, dogs in and out of the house. I can hear the UPS guy coming and ringing the bell, all that kind of stuff. I just found incredibly distracting. Um, it took me about 12 years to figure out that, <laughs> that this would be a valuable thing. But I'm telling you, now that I finally uh, built it and I work inside of it almost every day, I totally love it. Um, so it's kind of like having a an oasis within your own property, you know, your, an oasis within your own house. And um, that's really what it feels like. I'm I'm so jealous, honestly. Um, my house, my 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 main house is tiny, but I would still like I would take a shed. <laughs> That's well, like... it is, yeah, it is, yeah, it is kind of like a shed. I mean, for me, you know, I am just the queen of distraction, and you know, I don't I don't claim to be the best at anything, but I absolutely think that I am the best procrastinator on the face of this planet. So, you know, you put any little distraction in front of me, and I will just lean into it as you know, as a source of procrastination. So um, what this does for me is it sort of just gives me a, a blank place to just come and do what I need to do. So um, it also has the best internet connection because it's an actual hardwired connection as opposed to the house, which has Wi-Fi. So it's the most reliable internet connection in the, you know, in my, uh, in my house. So that's another reason why I really like it. That's such an that's such a cool advantage. Well, I'll I'll wrap by asking kind of our our question that we ask all of our guests, which is just for fun. And I want to know what did you really want to be when you grew up? <laughs> um, when I was eight years old, I wrote in my diary that I wanted to be a writer. I spelled it with two T's. So clearly, I if I was going to be a writer, I would also need a copy editor because I couldn't spell at the time. Um, but I always wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. 
really so you just you managed to get here all all the way from from kidness to here and here you are living the dream <laughs> i know well you know it's funny my college one of my college professors you know one of the you know this there are these professors in your college career who you just love really connected with um or in, in in your academic career in general and this guy was was one for me and he told me as a kind of aside that you know the most successful people really do know how to write and he, it wasn't even a writing course and he just happened to say this to me as an aside and it was one of those things that at the time just stuck with me and it was almost like gospel when i heard it um and i thought you know he's absolutely right and um and i still think that that's true which sort of does lead us to today but um it's something that i've kept with me pretty much my whole career and i just thought no matter what i do if i can write well i'll be successful at it um and i do think that's true so thank you, Anne. Thank you, Amber and Sisimos. And we pulled together some advice from Anne Handley and some other really smart folks. It's bit.ly slash regift marketing if you guys want to check that out. Again, thanks for joining another episode of Content Pros. You can follow us at contentprospodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you prefer. Let us know if you have any questions, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Sysimos, Proof HQ, and Inbound Rider, and is produced by Convince and Convert. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts.